Well, I want to welcome everybody today. Thank you so much for being with us and being in this service. And we are so grateful for people that are watching all over the world and all over Texas and all over the Houston area. We welcome you online. And we welcome those that are in this worship center right now. Woo! <laughs> Can I tell you something? I, last week, last week in every one of the five services uh, across two uh, campuses, every one of the five services had more people in those services last week than they had the week before. And I'm looking out at this crowd and it looks like the very same thing has happened at the 930 service at Sugarland. And welcome. I am so glad you're here. Now you might have noticed that I have a boomerang. Why is it called a boomerang? Well, if you throw this boomerang correctly, which I will not be doing in this worship center, if you throw this boomerang correctly, it'll come back to you, which is the definition of the word boomerang. Well, I decided to buy one and I got it this week and I went out to a high school practice football field of which I began to throw the boomerang and 40, 45 times it did not do what its name meant. It went off that way, it went off that way. It was a windy day and it went several times over my head and way away. But even though I failed between 40, 45 times, I got a lot of exercise. My watch uh, determines the number of steps that I take. It records that. And I walked a mile and a half picking this thing back up. A mile and a half. However, suddenly I hit a sweet spot. And it came all the way back not quite to me, but perpendicular to me, just a few steps away from me, and I was pretty excited. And the next four times I threw it, it came back to me. I quit at that time because I wanted to quit on top and not on the bottom. I was afraid I would lose the sweet spot, but it was great. It is a boomerang and it actually does what its name says. There was a guy that was very, very good at throwing the boomerang and pretty much every time he threw it, it came right back to him. But he'd thrown it so many times, it was all chipped up. He decided to buy another one, a new one. He got the new one, but he accidentally knocked himself out trying to throw the old one away. That was a joke of which we didn't get. But why am I even talking about boomerangs today? Because of a statement that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus makes this statement. He said, Judge not, lest you also be judged. For with the same measure you judge others, you, it, will be used against you. It is called a boomerang. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. We're in a series going through James talking about authentic Christianity. And we've arrived at James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and listen to what James says. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against 
his brother or judges him, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save or destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of should you be the judge? But before we can answer the question, there's another question that's got to be asked and answered. And it's this question. When is it right to judge another? There really are passages of Scripture in God's Word that explains to us that there are times in which we actually must make judgment calls about other people. For instance, Jesus was talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16, when he said this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. How can you tell the difference between good pastors, because that's what he's talking about here. How do you tell the difference between good pastors and those who are wolves in sheep's clothing? You do it by looking at the fruit of their lives. And by fruit, Jesus is talking really about two things. One, do they teach the Bible as it is written? Do they teach the word of God faithfully? And second of all, do they live what they teach? Now, in order to determine that, you got to make a judgment call. In other words, what I'm saying to you, the point I'm making to you is that sometimes there is a right kind of judging. So when is right judging? Well, when I read scripture, I find two particular things. There may be more and I've missed them, but at least two particular things that the Bible talks about, about making right judgment calls. The first is the Bible instructs us to judge what is truth from what is error. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, now the Bereans were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians For they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. Look, if the apostle Paul has to be evaluated about what it is he teaches, then Mark Hartman has to be evaluated as well. And in fact, every single person that stands on this platform who proclaims the word of God. We need to be evaluating what is being said. Is this person being truthful to the word of God? Are they saying what the Bible says? And the truth is that should be in every Bible study that we're a part of. It ought to be in every small group that we're a part of. Every time we listen to anybody on the television or the radio, and especially the television and the radio, we need to be evaluating, are they teaching what the word of God actually teaches And are they living out what they're preaching? It takes a judgment call. But the Bible is saying to us that's a judgment call we've got to make. There's a second thing. The Bible instructs us to judge what is moral, according to the Bible, from what is not moral. There are moral absolutes. I know that there are people that we encounter and situations we encounter that say the opposite. They say to us, there are not moral absolutes, but the very statement of that is a moral absolute itself. 
Wherever it is, we're hearing it. Maybe it's in a classroom. Maybe, maybe it's online. Maybe it's our friends. Maybe it is someone at work. There are moral absolutes. You and I cannot determine what those moral absolutes are, but the God who made this universe can. The God who sits as the judge of this universe can, and he has, and he has revealed those to us, and they are in his word. We live in a culture that is really struggling with moral issues. But every single one of these moral issues God deals with in his word, and his word is so clear about them. The practice of homosexuality in our culture, the Bible calls a sin. You cannot miss it. It is so clear in the Old Testament, so clear in the New Testament. You cannot miss that truth. Even though the culture says it's right, God's word says it's wrong. But at the same time, the Bible says that mistreating homosexual people is also a sin. Two people living together in an intimate relationship outside of marriage, the Bible calls adultery. I know in our culture, it is now being declared and openly practiced as it is fine. And oftentimes people are doing this because they say, look, I've experienced divorce. I've seen all these divorces. I don't want to make the same mistake. Let's try this out for a while. But the problem is all the studies now show those who do that actually end up with a higher divorce rate than those who don't. It's not working out. And the Bible calls it adultery. Abortion is the killing of an innocent human being. If the Bible is clear about anything, it is the sanctity of human life. There's no way to get around that. It's wrong. Racism in any form is a sin in the eyes of God. The Bible over and over talks about God not being a respecter of persons. God loving every person and creating every person exactly the way he wanted them to be. You put all of this together and it's simply this, to be unkind and disrespectful to others is just flat wrong. And oftentimes when we make a stand in this culture about this issue or one of these issues, others come trotting out what is the favorite passage of scripture of the culture, judge not lest you also be judged. Don't you judge me. But the truth is when we're simply saying what God has said, we're not passing judgment on anyone. It is God who is being judgmental. And by the way, God can be. He is the righteous judge of the universe. Here is the truth. We're all flawed. We all need to improve. All of us mess up from time to time in our lives. But in the process of so doing, we need to treat every person respectfully no matter what. But we don't have the right to call right what God calls wrong. And we don't have the right to call wrong what God calls right. What I'm trying to say is, is that the Bible is very clear about two areas. We have a right to pass judgment upon what is truth versus error. And a right to pass judgment about what is moral according to the word of God. And what is immoral. So with that in mind now, when is it wrong 
to judge another. I think the first thing that's got to happen with this is that we've got to grab hold of what does it mean? What is the Bible talking about when it is talking about wrongful judging of another person? So it's this definition. To have a judgmental spirit means to make an evaluation upon the character and the motives of another without sufficient evidence and with disregard for one's own failures. So many times in my ministry, from time to time, I've had individuals who have come to me and their opening sentence is something like this. God has given me a a very strong spiritual gift of discernment. And not every time, but many times, not every time, but many times, the very next words out of their mouth is some slam against another individual. I will tell you, we Christians know how to dress up sinful behavior with Christianese, don't we? We got all the right Christian terms and we use it to sort of cover over our sin, but it's not fooling the Bible. The Bible uncovers it all. So what is wrongful judging of others? Well, first of all, responding in a self-righteous spirit is a part of a judgmental attitude. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. I mean, think about this for a moment. He is praying to God about how great he is. Something's wrong with the picture already, isn't there? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Jesus said, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. And Jesus then made this evaluation. He said, I tell you that this man, meaning the tax collector, that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. A self-righteous spirit is a spirit that says, I'm better than you. I'll pick the criteria and with my criteria, I am better than you. There are always going to be times that people make wrong decisions. There's always going to be times that people disappoint us. There's always going to be times that people do things that hurt our feelings, but gossiping about them is always going to be wrong. Loving them, helping them, is the loving thing to do. When was the last time that somebody did something wrong to you and instead of you gossiping about them, you said to them, I don't like what you just did. I don't appreciate the the thing you just did, but I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna be there for you and I'm not going to gossip about you. 
part of the expression of a self-righteous attitude is gossiping about others. Second of all, when I am trying to make other people accountable to my own personal convictions, I am laying judgment upon another. There are many times, many times in which the Bible is very clear about what is right and what is wrong. The Bible has so many times in which it guides us in our moral decisions. This is the right thing to do, and this is the wrong thing to do. But there are all other things that you and I experience in our life in which the Bible is silent about. The Bible doesn't have an absolute passage of Scripture about this particular issue or that particular issue. But maybe God gives to us a personal conviction about it. Great, when God has given you a personal conviction about it, that is great, follow what he has told you to do. But maybe he has not given that personal conviction to somebody else. Don't lay your personal convictions upon somebody else because when you do, you're actually being judgmental of them. So let me give you an example, and hopefully this is an innocuous uh, uh, example that I can give to you. There are some people that have a personal conviction against children's Christmas fantasies. And they feel like it's wrong and we're not going to participate and do that. Yay, God, if that's what God has given you, then you follow those convictions. But other people don't have the same convictions. Then don't hold other people accountable to the same convictions God has given to you. Because listen to me, if every one of us added up all the personal convictions that we feel that God has led us into, there would be a list so long that we wouldn't be able to breathe if we were holding everybody else accountable to our personal convictions. And it wouldn't be but a New York second that we would be no different than the Pharisees in the New Testament who were making up all these specific laws and rules and regulations beyond the scripture and before long no one could breathe Jesus came and loosed us from those chains but when we hold other people accountable to our convictions we are doing exactly what the Pharisees did in the first century the third is this when I'm habitually being critical toward other pre people and others, another person and others, I am being judgmental. Again, we're all flawed, we all make mistakes. We all make decisions that don't turn out. We thought they were going to, but they turned out to be wrong decisions, but we were doing our best. When we began to pick apart each other, and we go to another individual being hypercritical of that person, we're being judgmental. The next time someone comes to you and they're complaining about this thing or that thing, what somebody said, what somebody did, I hope that running through your mind will be the phrase, there's two sides to every story. Because Proverbs says to us, never make a judgment call on the basis of one side of the story. Because when you do, it will end up coming back to bite you every single time. 
there is a fourth thing, and it's this. When I'm deciding someone else's motives, I am being judgmental. So many times when we're living life and we are experiencing uh, other people and problems and struggles of other people and different things that are done, we are sure that we know exactly what was in the mind of that individual when they did what they did. But the truth is, none of us are God. And though we might think we know exactly what the motive that, of that individual was, we really don't. And assuming that we know more about what's in the heart and mind of that individual is the very act of judging that Jesus was talking about. It is an act of judging another person on the basis of something that you don't really actually know. Here's a fifth thing and the last thing. When I am thinking more about others' faults than I'm thinking about my own faults, then I am being judgmental. Listen to what Jesus said, again, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. When he deals with this whole issue, he says in verses 3 to 5, What do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He is talking about a person who sees a problem in somebody else's life. It's a speck of sawdust in their eye, but there is a two by four coming out of his eye. And he is totally oblivious to his own faults. Jesus said, don't start picking apart somebody else. First, take a look at your own heart your own life, get your own heart right before you try to pick apart somebody else's life. As one man put it, what Peter says about Paul says more about Peter than it says about Paul. What we say about other people may say far more about us than it says about them. So what is wrong with judging other people? Well, this is now what James is trying to say to us. And so very quickly, let's look at what James is telling us. He gives us three reasons why it is wrong to judge others. First of all, he says judging others is unchristian. James chapter 4 and verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Do you remember what Jesus said when he made the statement that when you do these things to the least of these, my brothers, you have done them to me. When Jesus made that statement in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus was talking about good things. And he said, when you give food to meet the need of somebody else, it's as though you have given food to me. That 100,000 pounds of food that this church over the course of three months gave to Second Mile, Mission Center, we were in essence, every time we gave food to meet the need of somebody else, we were giving food to Jesus Christ. When you go and visit someone that's in prison, when you go and visit somebody that's in the hospital, when you reach out to meet the need of somebody else, Jesus is saying, when you do these things to the least of these, my brethren, you are doing them unto me. But then in Acts chapter 9, Jesus talking to the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, 
Jesus uses the very same concept, but in reverse, in a negative way. And Jesus says to Paul, when you did these terrible things to other people, you were doing them to me. When we slander somebody else, when we wrongfully judge other people, we are being unchristian. We are actually doing these very things to Jesus himself. The word slander is a word that actually means devil. Did you know that? Because Satan is the slander. And what James is saying in the passage is that when we slander someone else, we're acting just like him. It is an unchristian thing to do. Second of all, judging others is an unloving thing to do. Listen to what James says in James chapter 4, verse 11. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. What James is talking about is what he had just been mentioning in James chapter 3, that there is a law of love, that all of the law, every part of the law and the prophets is wrapped up in one simple idea, that I am to treat someone else the way I want to be treated, that I am to love someone else the way God has loved me. When we love another person, we are fulfilling all of the law that God has brought into, uh, uh, to us, all the things that he has told us to do. But when we are judging someone else, we are violating what love was intended to be. And we are violating the law of God. We're being loving. Third, judging others is unjustified. James chapter 4, verse 12 there is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? God will deal with whatever it is that has wounded your spirit. God will deal with this situation. He will deal with that individual. You don't have to deal with it. It is unchristian, it is unloving, it is unjustified to put yourself in the place of God. Sometimes the truth is we have too many opinions about too many people. Remember the boomerang? James makes this statement in James chapter 2 verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. What James is teaching us is that when we judge others wrongfully, when we judge others, that will always come back to wound us even more. The Bible says about Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When John describes Jesus, he describes him full of grace and truth. That is the goal for every Christian's life, for our hearts to be full of the truth of God and never to compromise it, but to be equally full of grace and love 
toward others in our life. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge the truth about your word. Father, you have come and spoken to our heart through your word so clearly that we've got to be careful about what we say about others. We've got to be careful about the judgment calls that we make about someone else. Because so many times we don't have all the information. We don't know the truth about that person. Father, teach us how to be quiet. Teach us how to be more loving. Teach us how to treat each other with the love of Jesus Christ. To do what Jesus told us, judge not, lest we also be judged. Father, move in our heart, deepen our walk with you, open our heart of love toward each other, and use us to be a positive force in this world, a loving force in this world, instead of the other. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.